Welcome to the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, that you connect with God maybe in a new way, and it's the beginning of the conversation between you and Him and the beginning of our connection here at the Brick. Uh, all right, so we are in week number five, our fifth and final week of Life of Paul. And uh, as we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about the end of his life. And if you're new with us, we've been just taking different chunks of his life, different segments of his life, and really figuring out uh, what, what's the application, what are some practical steps that we're called to live out based on the life of Paul and how he lived. Because in Scripture, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So we're taking that pretty literally, looking at Paul and figuring out how to do that. And so we're going to do that about the end of his life. Most of this that we're talking about and referring to is found in Acts chapters 22 through 28. So we're going to end up Paul's life. But to get there, I actually want to start at the beginning. And I know we've, the last four weeks we've started at the beginning. But Paul kind of has a mission statement, if you will, that will help sum up and understand how it plays out in the end. Um, and that mission statement is found in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. And uh, God is talking to a guy named Ananias. And Paul has just been converted. Like just in this moment, Acts 9, Paul has just been converted. If you're not familiar with Paul, before Paul was killing Christians and then Paul became a Christian. And at this moment, it just happened. So the world's kind of like, is he faking it? Is he trying to like sneak in and kill people? Uh, and Ananias basically says that to God, like I, I'm supposed to go to Paul. That doesn't, I'm not cool with that. Like he was just killing people. I don't know about that. And this is what God says to him in verses 15 and 16. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their Kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, if I'm honest with you, uh, this is one of those verses that has frequently made me uncomfortable. That line, that last line, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name is like, I don't like that. I don't like suffering. I don't know if you like suffering. Uh, I don't like suffering. So the concept and the idea that God is showing Paul how much he has to suffer is conflicting for me and frustrating for me. But when I look through the whole of scripture, what I find out is that God doesn't tell that to very many people. This is kind of unique to Paul. He tells it to Peter. Um, he tells Peter, like, the end of your life is going to be difficult. This is what's going to happen. And he tells it to Paul. I can't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. And it seems like even the way Paul communicates to the churches he's writing to is not to overlay his suffering on them. He doesn't communicate to them like, you know, you have to suffer the way that I suffer. Well, I've, I've been beaten. Have you been beaten? I've been shipwrecked. Have you been shipwrecked? It's not like he's trying to communicate that the way that I'm called to live and the sacrifices I make for the kingdom of God are, are going to have to be the same sacrifices. So when we look at his kind of mission and look at the way God speaks to him, we need to take into account the reality that some things are unique to him uh, and may not play one-to-one -one for us, but there are things we can learn. And one of the things I, wa I want you to see in this verse is one that I skip over. I frequently skip over because I'm uncomfortable with the idea that Paul needs to suffer for the name of Christ. But I, I, I kind of skip over because of that. I'll skip over the mission and the power of why he's suffering. The, the reason he's suffering is found in those preceding verses that says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. See, 
he gets this, this mission and this calling that is so big, so amazing. Like I get to proclaim to kings who Jesus is and how good Jesus is. The, the amount of suffering for Paul, and we're going to see it through his life and the way he lives, the amount of suffering is like, that's not, I'm not worried about that because the mission is big enough. What I get to do in the kingdom of God and how I get to live means that this suffering that I may not enjoy in the moments is still worth it because I get to tell the good news to the kings, to the Gentiles, to the world. I get to stand before some people and tell them about Jesus. And so what I want you to recognize in these verses is that for Paul and what should be true for us is that the mission of our life, the way God has called us, who God has called us to be should matter more than the pain more than the persecution, more than the struggles. See, Paul, I believe, is willing to suffer because he knows how big the outcome can be and how important his call is. And so today I wanna challenge you to maybe reset. Maybe either, you, you either find your mission for the first time, like I'm called, I'm, God has me here for a reason. I wasn't born on accident, no matter what my parents thought they did or didn't do by accident. God didn't put me here by accident. Like I'm here for a purpose. I have a mission. And, and listen, we got lots of excuses on, well, it's different because I got this thing. I mean, I'm, you don't know how old I am. I'm not good at communicating. You don't know what I struggle with. No, no, no. If you're still breathing, God still has a purpose for you. God still has a mission for you. And whatever it takes to fulfill the mission of God on your life, is worth whatever you have to go through because of how much it matters. And then Paul, uh, at the end of his life, gets to experience that. Like Paul gets to sit before the kings. He gets to talk to the people of Israel. He gets to share the gospel to the Gentiles. And so you see what is essentially this small movement of, of people following what's called back then the way. Like they're following the way and it looks like it's just this Jewish sect that's kind of very small and somewhat insignificant and some people were trying to stop it by killing them. And you see it start to expand. And in the midst of that expansion, it stops being just this Jewish small thing and starts to become this global movement. And Paul is the instigator of that global movement because now instead of just telling it to the poor, and that, that would be enough, that's sufficient enough, now it's time to tell it to the kings. And so Paul in Acts 22, you see him stand before different people and escalate. Uh, he starts out with the Sanhedrin, which is just the Jewish council. And he tells them, hey, you know, this is who Jesus is. The guy you guys killed, that, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. And they don't like it, they're frustrated. And he, he lets himself be abused, lets himself be dragged in front of this council, knowing good and well he doesn't have to. Paul is a Roman citizen. They're not allowed to hit him the way that they're hitting him. And Paul holds that close to the chest before he reveals who he is. So that tells me that the mission mattered more than the pain. The mission mattered more than the persecution. I will take the beatings if it gives me an opportunity to tell you about my Lord and Savior. I'll, I'll take the pain if it gives me an opportunity to further the gospel. That's, that's some like, okay, follow me as I follow Christ type examples. The stuff that I would have trouble living up to. This is the Paul that we're talking about. Then they escalate it once they find out he's a Roman citizen. They realize, well, hands off. We, we don't have the authority to do what we want to do. And they want him dead. Like they're like, they're looking for opportunities. So let's, let's go send him to this guy named Felix. Felix is, Felix is a governor and he's got a Roman authority as a governor. And Felix isn't ready to kill him. He's like, well, he's a Roman citizen. I'm gonna get in trouble with Rome, but I'm also in charge of Israel. So let me play both sides. And for two years, Felix essentially doesn't do anything. 
He, Paul is just in prison. Felix doesn't kill him. He kind of keeps his hands off until he's replaced by, by a guy named Festus. So Paul gets to speak to the Sanhedrin. He gets to speak to Governor Felix and then Governor Festus. And he tells Governor Festus the same thing. Like, listen, here's, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Let me tell you why I'm here, why they're persecuting me. And, and at one point he, he appeals to Caesar. And so Festus escalates it to the next level to a guy named King Agrippa. He's in chains, he's in prison. He goes to King Agrippa, which is the next tier of the ladder. So now he's in front of Kings, just like his mission said he was. And he has this long conversation with King Agrippa and is winning him over. And it's this beautiful speech and conversation that takes place. And at the end of it, King Agrippa tells Festus, he didn't have to be here. He would have been let go had he not appealed to Caesar. And Paul's not a dumb guy, right? If you read Paul's writing, he's not an idiot. Paul knew that. I, I have almost no doubt that Paul had to have known that he could have gotten out of this abuse, gotten out of this pain, gotten out of this persecution if he just kept his mouth shut and moved on. But he knew I have a calling and I need to stand before Caesar. Like I know that I'm called to speak to Caesar because that's what my mission is. That's what God has told me to. The reason for this pain, for this suffering is so that I can stand before kings. And King Agrippa even rec recognizes, no, 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 uh, he didn't have to be here, but now he's appealed to Caesar. So we have to send him to Caesar. So he goes to Rome and uh, Acts 28 kind of ends. That's the last chapter in the book of Acts. And it kind of ends with him in Rome for two years. And at two years in Rome, he is preaching the gospel essentially free right? He's essentially free. He's, he's stuck in kind of a house that's, that's a, like a rental house that, in the way that they kept their prison guards to guard him. He couldn't go anywhere, but he was able to go, have people come and go and deliver letters and do all those things. So he's communicating the gospel in the midst of all of everything that he's done because the mission never, never, you know, got sidetracked. And so uh, there's a, a portion of his story that I want to use as kind of an illustration because in, in the midst of going to Rome, uh, they send him on a ship after King Agrippa. And in the midst of going to Rome, he's in chains as a prisoner on a ship. And he's like, let's not sell. God told me we're going to wreck. And I mean, who listens to prisoners, right? Like this doesn't, like he's a prisoner. You're not a captain of a ship. You don't tell me when to sell. Stay in your chains and keep your mouth shut. That makes total sense. So they ignore him and they sell anyways. Massive storm. It happens. Paul's like defending even his prison people. Like, listen, I told you not to do this, but now don't kill all these other people. So they, he actually saves some people's lives in the process. Long story short, shipwrecks. He ends up on an island from the shipwreck. They grab logs. They make it to the island on this island called Malta. And in the island of Malta, uh, he's there. And the, the people of the island... Uh, see him gathering wood and they're very kind to them and all the people, but they know he's a prisoner. And they, as they see him grabbing wood, they see a viper come out from under the wood and bite his hand. And Paul shakes it off and continues on his business. And the Islanders, scripture says in Acts 28, the Islanders look at him and go, oh, he must've done something messed up. Like he, he escaped the sea and met justice on our island. Like he must have really, he must really be a bad guy. He must really be rough. There must be something really wrong with what he did. He must be a murderer. Something happened. This guy's wrong because he's about to die. And they're watching and waiting like, are you going to die any minute now? He going to die. He's about to die. You saw the snake, right? We saw the snake. He bit him. He's about to die. He's not dead yet. He didn't. Why is he not dead? Like they're just waiting on this moment. And so kind of like the court of public opinion works, he goes from, he must be a really bad guy until the Islanders go all the way to the other direction. He must be a God. 
Like there's no in between, right? You notice that on social media, it's either you're the spawn of Satan or you're an angel. There's no in the middle for the court of public opinion. And so in that moment, he shakes off the snake, goes about his business, and they think he's a God. And none of that stops him from his mission. The, the opinion of the islanders of who, he thought he wa- who they thought he was doesn't change the call and the mission. The snake biting him didn't take him off mission. And them thinking he's a God doesn't distract him. Like that's a, I mean, if somebody thinks you're a God, like you just, I mean, maybe I'm not saying I'm not. All I'm saying is you haven't seen me and God in the same room together. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying I am, but like I could get some free stuff from these people. We could hang out. Like I could be treated really well after all my suffering, but that's not what Paul does. He stays on mission and then goes and talks to the chief official of that island as well, leverages that moment more for the gospel. And what I want you to see about who Paul is and how passionate Paul is, is that he never gets distracted off of the mission that he's called to live. And the reason he can shake that snake off is because an angel, the chapter before, had showed up to him on the ship and said, listen, you're not going to die. You're not going to die because you need to stand before Caesar and talk to Caesar. And so for Paul, he's like, shipwreck, just grab a log. We're going somewhere. I'm not going to die because I know I'm good, right? Snake bites, cool. Not gonna, it's not going to matter to me because I need to stand before Caesar and nothing gets in the way of me talking to Caesar because Rome if you're gonna share the gospel, all roads lead to Rome, this is how you share it. You get to the most important city that goes everywhere. Every road is coming to this point. We're gonna spread the gospel like crazy from this spot and nothing distracts Paul from his mission to, to share the gospel and to be the guy that stands before kings. And what I want you to see about that, that idea and who he is, is I want you to either reestablish your mission, right? Like, Maybe you've gotten distracted. I mean, it's actually really easy. Uh, Men, especially for us, maybe you started a job and you knew the job was to provide for your family. It's like, no, that's what this is for. I'm, I'm working this job because I want my kids to have a life that maybe I couldn't have, or I want my kids to have things and be able to follow Jesus passionately and not be distracted by poverty or other issues, right? So like you have this thing or you started a business all because you wanted to love your family well. And then you'll find out a couple years in I'm working this job and not loving my family well. It's defeated its whole purpose because I lost my mission. You know what I'm saying? You ever get distracted off of mission? Like the whole reason I did this was so that I could have this and now I'm caught in something else that doesn't matter. And for Paul, that never happens. Paul is so locked in on the mission of what he's called to do. And I pray today you either find your mission and you really believe today that the mission matters more than whatever you have to go through. The mission matters more than other people's opinions. The mission matters more than the prosperity and people thinking you look good or sound good or drive a nice car or live in a nice house. The mission matters more than all of that. The good, the bad, the ugly. It's a good movie if you, if you haven't seen it. Uh, and so the mission matters. What I, want, what I don't want you to get, just my disclaimer. Uh, many people have done this uh, in, in faith circles where we look at Paul or we look at other people that have suffered in scripture and we kind of overlay that onto our life and we think we're supposed to suffer. And, and what I want to be very clear about is the goal of your life is not to suffer. That's not, that's not the purpose of your life. You can't overlay what, what Paul went through and make it what you're supposed to go through. It doesn't make you more holy because you suffer. 
It doesn't make you more righteous because you're going through persecution or pain. That is not what makes you righteous. What makes you righteous is faith in God and following him. That's the only thing. And so there are times where you're going to live in difficulty and you're going to struggle and you're going to wrestle to follow the call. And there are going to times, there are going to be times where the call leads you to prosperity and you have to be okay staying focused in the midst of both. Some of us, because we have this kind of like maybe old mentality or thought process that as soon as we start to be happy, as soon as we start to succeed, we start to self-sabotage. Like, no, 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 that can't, that can't be God because I'm supposed to suffer. Like, no, 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 I, I, can't, I can't enjoy this. I, I, it must not be, I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. And so it's one of two things. Either you misunderstand scripture and you think that you have to suffer to be loved by God well, that you have to suffer and have a painful life to really fulfill the call of God on your life. And that's not true. That's not true in scripture. You're not made more righteous by the pain in the way that you suffer. Or the second thing is you've never looked at scripture and found the value that God has placed in you. Like you, you have been raised maybe in a family dynamic that communicated to you, you don't have value. So as soon as you start to feel like there is value, you have to, you have to knock it down a notch because I, I can't, I don't deserve a healthy relationship, so I'm gonna sabotage this, this relationship. I don't, I don't deserve healthy finances, so I'm gonna sabotage this job. I don't deserve these things, and it's time to reestablish that, no, 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 good or bad, my mission is the focus. And if God allows me in this moment, the mission of what he's called me to do is always going to, to uh, take precedence. And so the ultimate goal for God in your life is not, to, to see you suffer or to see you prosperous, the ultimate goal for God in your life and for my life is to see us be faithful to who he's called us to be. That's the ultimate goal. That, that we grow up and we, are, we, we start to develop as children of God and we start to look more and more like God, so much so that when it's painful and there's persecution and there's struggles and people don't like us for our faith and there's issues, that we respond with the same kind of love and compassion and pursuit that Jesus did. And that when we start to get blessed and, and finances start to go the right way and everything's good and everything's starting to be healthy, we can go, look at what God did. How do I leverage this for the kingdom? How do I leverage this good stuff, this good moment, this good things for the kingdom? Because neither of those things distract me from the call. Neither of those things distracted Paul. And this is what he says, writing from prison, mind you, in Philippians chapter four, verses 12 and 13. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, no one at the 10 o'clock had this, but some of you might even have the tattoo of Philippians 4.13. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, uh, but it's a very popular scripture. And we wanna take Philippians 4.13 and leave out maybe Philippians 4.12. Because I, I believe that's true. Like you go to your locker room, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it's like, I'm gonna go hit a baseball really far. I'm gonna go shoot a three point really good. Like that, that's kind of where we've created that verse, what we've created that verse to mean. And it can mean those things. But I think what Paul is saying in the midst of this is no matter where I'm at, in Christ, the mission matters. Like in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, it doesn't matter if I have a lot or a little, I'm good. Like as long as my mission is on focus, I can do it. Like I can cover, I can, I can have a bunch of money in the bank and it doesn't change who I am and it doesn't change how I'm called. I can be broke as a joke living on dirt floors and it doesn't change how I'm called to live, how I'm called to communicate the gospel. My God is good in both scenarios and my God wins in both scenarios. 
And I kind of lucked out uh, in the sense that I kind of got to see this in my grandparents. Uh, my grandparents uh, grew up really poor, like dirt poor, poor, not together. Uh, that might make, might make some sense to some of you, like that's what's wrong with them. Uh, but no, 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 in separate areas they grew up. Uh, and my grandmother grew up in the like Ozark mountains, literally had a dirt floor, couldn't afford anything. My grandfather grew up in Salisaw, same kind of dirt, dirt floor, really poor in the thirties and forties. And, uh, they, they got just like radically changed by God and felt called. And so they were pastoring churches and they were poor, like still poor. You know, you know, what doesn't happen. You give your life to Jesus and you have a couple million in the bank. That doesn't like, it'd be cool. Like raise your hand, like love Jesus. I got a couple million. This is dope. That just, this Jesus guy is good. I like this. Let's do it. It's not how it works. I wish it did, but they gave their life to Jesus and they were still poor. And in the midst of their poverty, they still decided to be faithful. Like they were, they were poor, poor and they decided to be faithful. And one area that my grandmother talks about is tithing. Like, no, no, we chose to give 10% of our income back to God through the local church, even when we didn't have enough to eat. And I'm like, oh, even as a pastor, I'm gonna have a hard time telling somebody that. Like, I'll feed you, then you can tithe. Like, I can't let you do that. And they talk about being faithful in the midst of their poverty. And there's so many stories that come out uh, of those moments and those seasons of God's faithfulness to stay on mission. And if you'll stay on mission, he stays faithful. For instance, my, my grandmother tells one time that um, they were like no food in the house. Cupboards were empty. And, uh, and now listen, when I say my cupboards are empty, they're not empty. It's just, I don't want to eat that. Like, I don't eat a hot dog. I don't want no ramen today. Like my cupboards are empty just means there's not something that I want today. That's what we mean. But when my grandmother says cupboards are empty, it's like bare, like you wipe the dust off because there's nothing there. And she believed God would show up. She believed God was faithful. So she starts to set the table anyways, no food. Like if, if I'm my grandfather, like you, you, have you lost it? You've lost your, you know, we don't got no food. What are you doing with the table? Let's go figure out something else. Like, why are you setting the table? And sure enough, before she's done setting that table, the doorbell rings and it's somebody with a couple baskets of groceries. And they said, I don't know why I felt led, but I felt led that I was supposed to buy you groceries. She never told them that, you know, you saved the day. Like we had literally nothing. She was grateful for the act that God had done through them. And they, they, in that moment, didn't know that they were the miracle that she needed in that moment. She was able to feed her family because they trusted God was faithful, even in the midst of the lack and the need and the struggle. They believed and were faithful to the mission while they were dirt poor and broke. Another one of the stories that I like uh, in that moment is a few years prior to that, at that point, they had two sons. A few years prior to that, they only had the one, who's my uncle, he's the oldest. And, uh, you know, still struggling. They're, they're poor for several years before it, that, that situation changed. And it was a struggle to feed him. And there happened to be a, a local drunkard that lived down the road. And he had one chicken, and that one chicken, every single morning, would hop down the road and lay an egg under their house and go back home. And because they felt like the right thing to do is not their egg, that's not their chicken, was to go give it back to the drunkard. Like, listen, this isn't ours. And me and you, my, just so you know, struggling to eat, but we're still gonna do the right thing. Hey man, your, your chicken came over, laid its egg. The drunkard for who knows why was like, if you laid it on your, your property, that's your egg. My uncle for years ate from the drunk man's chicken, ate the eggs off the drunk man's chicken, because God was faithful, even in the midst of the need and the struggle. 
years later, my grandfather was uh, probably a workaholic. Like there's probably some things he needed to work through because he loved to work. And like, I just, it just never made sense to me. Like I would work, he, he started to own rent houses and he liked to work with his hands, he liked to build stuff. And he was still pastoring and doing that on the side. I, I can barely pastor, much less do rent houses on the side. And so he's doing both and he's working and he keeps working. And in my 20s, I'm working with him on the rent houses and he's in his 70s. And I would be like, Let's, can, we, can we take a lunch break or something? Like, I'm tired. Like, I, don't, I don't care if you're 75. I'm tired. I'm 25 and I'm tired. Let's go. Can I get a drink? Can I take a break? You know, like his motto was, if you're not bleeding, you're not working, right? So uh, we're like in that season, he's blessed. Like they're, they're doing well. They own some rent houses. They own some apartment complexes. They've worked their way up and God has been faithful. And what I got to see was the extremes of God's faithfulness. And see, God was faithful in the poverty. And my, parent, my grandparents got to see like, no, 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 just because my situation changes doesn't mean my mission nor my God has changed. And they were faithful when they had plenty. Like my grandfather could have stopped preaching at any point and made a whole lot more money, but he gave up his time to continue pastoring because he believed in it. At one point, uh, they got audited by the IRS. And one of their first questions was, you, you actually gave more to the thing that you work at. It doesn't make any sense. Like you, you say you're an employee of the church, but you gave more to the church than you earned an income. There were seasons where the church couldn't even pay and they were still tithing even back to the church while they were working for the church in order to see the mission happen because they were faithful in their mission because God had been faithful in the poverty. He's not just faithful in the poverty. He's also faithful in the prosperity. And so for us to learn and to gravitate towards this understanding and this belief that my God is faithful, so I'm called to be like him. And I'm called to be faithful. If I'm, if I'm poor, like I got nothing. I don't have nothing, I ain't got nobody. I still follow the mission that God has called me to live. When I got it all, I got plenty of money. I got, I got it all paid off. I got everything I need. How do I leverage that for the mission? Because my mission doesn't change just because my circumstances did. And so he's developing us to be it. And, and Paul gets it. Paul gets like, here's how you can connect with Paul. You can connect with Paul because you've all suffered at some point, right? You, we're, we're not persecuted. There might be people that argue that we're persecuted. It's not even close to the same of what Paul went through, all right? So we're not like, you're not, you're not going home and getting beat up because you came to church today. If you are, talk to somebody, we can actually stop that. But in general, there's not much. Some of you might've been missionaries. Maybe there's people listening to this that have been missionaries and actually been in areas where they're physically persecuted. But whether you're poor or rich, you know what it's like to suffer. Like even in the perfect will of God, there's moments where you still suffer. And Paul knows what that's like. Paul knows what it's like to suffer. What do I mean? Like there are moments where you're like doing everything God's called you to do, you're on mission. And then you have this person that you got a burden for and they just don't turn. They just don't listen. You try everything you can and they still choose to stay addicted. You love them the best that you can and you suffer because they hurt. You've, you've done everything you can to pray for this person and they die of a sickness. You've done everything you can to fight for this marriage and it falls apart on its own. You've done everything you can to, to raise these kids in the right way and they start acting like knuckleheads. You know what it's like to suffer even when you've done your best. I mean, a bunch of times we suffer because we do stupid stuff. But even when we're not doing stupid stuff, we suffer. And Paul knows what that's like. He's writing to churches and wanting the best for them. And they're not following it. And he's passionate about seeing them follow all that God has called them to do. And Paul says, still, we stay faithful to the mission, even in the midst of suffering. Because God is faithful in the persecution. God is faithful with the prosperity. And God is faithful in the suffering. He says it like this in Romans 8, verse 18. 
He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is, and this is a really fun, like interesting uh, section of, of scriptures. Uh, this verse 18 through 28, go back and read later. But what he says is like, this present moment, like he's not downplaying the suffering. Like, you know, it's hard. It's rough. We're being beat. This is, this is a, a tough situation. It's difficult. And you don't have to downplay the situations in your life that are hard. Like it's difficult. You may be going through a hard time. You may be trying to get out of a drug addiction, bad decisions you made. You may be praying for family members, loved ones. And you can say like, no, 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 this is hard. This is difficult. This season, I don't love it. It's difficult. But then come back to Paul and be like, but it's, it's not going to compare. It's not going to compare to the goodness of what God's going to do if I stay faithful in the midst of it, when it hurts. When I stay faithful, even with the suffering, it's not going to compare to the goodness of heaven, to the goodness of what's going to happen when we come into the fullness of who we are. See, in the rest of the verses, he starts to use these analogies like, no, no, the earth is groaning. There is problems with our planet because we have not yet come into the fullness of who we were called to be. It's one of my favorite sections of scripture because it helps me understand really major disastrous climate events. Because I believe that our sin, our, the, the gift that God gave us on earth, we're in charge of it and we messed it up. Like we chose to follow our own way, follow Satan's direction and our sin starts to seep into the soil. And now the planet is even groaning. And then he starts to use an analogy of childbirth. He says, the, the thing is, is even in childbirth, there's a suffering but it doesn't compare to the moment afterwards. That's what this life is like. There's a suffering and there's a difficulty. Life will, life will, you don't need to try to suffer. I'm telling you, please don't. If you don't have to suffer, don't suffer. Suffer, stay on mission, stay focused. But there will be moments where it's going to be hard and you might suffer in the midst of those moments. But just trust that even with the suffering, my God is faithful if you'll stay faithful. My God is faithful if you'll stay on mission and you'll get to the other side of that and you'll go, oh, that was, that was worth it. That's it. Some of you women know exactly that analogy of childbirth where there was that like, like, come on, if we, we express like, let me tell you all this pain you're gonna go through. It's gonna be super fun. Uh, your, your stomach's gonna get huge and then you're gonna have to push something out that doesn't fit out and it's gonna hurt really bad, like real bad. Like it's like a, on a scale from one to 10, it's like a 20. It's the worst pain we know to man, right? Like that's the worst pain you can basically go through. How about that? How does that sound? Not, nope, nope. Listen, we all know, like all of us know, if we're up to men, our population would not exist. Like it's just not gonna happen. Like the first time you might trick me, like, oh, I did not know it was gonna be that bad. You got me. Not gonna happen a second time. But for you women, there's something in you that on the other side, it was worth it, right? When we had the first kid, it was difficult. There was uh, some medical issues that took place and it made it even worse than a normal birthing process. And I was like, babe, we don't, I, we can foster adopt. We ain't got to have another one naturally. We're good. And she was like, I don't even know. It wasn't that bad. We, let's do it again. I'm like, I'm sorry. You, you lost your mind. Okay. You've lost your mind. It was just fine. Everything was fine. Like it was cool. Everything that was cool for you. I was painful for me and I wasn't even in pain. Like I suffered watching you suffer. This doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm convinced that there's like some sort of women amnesia that happens. And what it is, is there's something that erases the pain because you, you fight and you push and it's difficult. And then that moment, that first moment where there's skin to skin and you see your baby for the first time, that moment, yeah, I, oh yeah, I forgot about it. I forgot about the pain. 
I forgot about the difficulty. I forgot about what I went through for nine months. I forgot about my emotional state in that nine months. I forgot about all the struggles and the difficulties of that nine months because this one moment made it worth it. And see, if you'll stay on mission, that's what the glory of us being revealed is like. It's like, ah, this is difficult, it's painful, but all it is is one moment when you look Jesus face to face and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you're gonna look around and you're gonna know your mission mattered that there was one person that, that came to know Jesus because you stayed faithful. There was one person who, whose life was different because you stayed faithful and you have no excuse to think that you can't stay faithful because my God is faithful to you in the process. You're not too old, you're not too young, you're not too smart, you're not too ignorant, you're not too rich, you're not too poor. If you're still breathing, my God still has a purpose and you have something to do in your life and all of the pain of doing it, all the sacrifice, all the things you give up, all the things that you fight for to get to that place where the mission matters and you're like Paul and you're struggling and you're suffering and you're believing for God to do the best. He's saying, no, on the other side, it's gonna, it's gonna be worth it. The mission matters enough that I'm gonna stand before kings and tell them about the goodness of my savior who set me free. The, the mission matters that there's a group of Gentiles who think that, that God's need them to sacrifice their kids. God needs them to do all of these things. And I need to tell them that there is a God who loves them so much, the God who loves them so much, he sent his own son to die on the cross for their sins. That mission is worth dying for. That mission is worth suffering for. I'll do shipwrecks. I'll be beat half to death because it's worth it because it will not compare to the glory that's revealed on the other side. Well done, my good and faithful servant. There are people that are different because you stay on mission. And so today I wanna to challenge you, stay on mission. Don't get distracted, stay on mission. Not the, not the persecution, not the prosperity, not the suffering. Let none of that distract you from who you're called to be in God. Let none of those things get in the way because at the end of the time, it may have been painful, it may have been hard. You may not have an easy road, but you'll look and say, oh, I didn't compare, wasn't even close. Seeing my baby for the first time, wasn't even close. Hearing him say daddy for the first time, not even close to all the pain. That's what heaven's like. That's what the other side is like when you've stayed on mission. Let's pray. We are so excited that you had joined us for today's message. We hope that it impacted you, that God used it to get to you exactly what he needed to speak and that you're able to take the action steps he's called you to. If you're still here with us and you're looking for a way to give back to the Brick Church, to be a part of the community financially, you can start that giving in two ways. One way is through the website. It's thebrick.church slash giving. The second way is to set up a text giving account. You do that by texting the word brick to the phone number 45888. That's the word brick to 45888. Thank you for being a part of all that God is doing here at the Brick Church.